This morning and after practice, we always say a prayer. And my four-year-old said he wanted to pray for our church family. And so if you're not part of our church family, I hope you feel welcome and adopted this morning. But we are beyond blessed to have people that are not our blood that we can call our church family. And as happy as that makes me, I know God looks at us and says, these are my children that are together and we are family. So if you'd stand with us this morning, we're going to go ahead and worship. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence, you won't let go. In the questions you truth will hold, your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. My lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness, I will follow you. that is my son's favorite song so we're gonna sing read a call to worship this morning from Psalm 113 1 through 3 praise the Lord praise the Lord you his servants praise the name of the Lord let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore from the rising of the Sun to the place where it sets let the name of the Lord be praised I count on one thing, 
glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise. Say glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your This is an old one, so I expect to hear a lot of voices here. celebrating the new year in East Brunswick and going to bed about nine o'clock. So, but I had to work this morning, so I couldn't stay up too late. 
Christmas was just a week ago. Most, but some of us are old enough, we need to be reminded of that, that it was only a week ago. Um, And I hope your Christmas hasn't been as uncertain as many, missing planes and getting sick and just everything that goes along with it. But considerable time and emotion and resources are invested here in the United States in the process of giving gifts. Now, where Brenda and I have lived, the the emphasis isn't the same in other countries on, on giving gifts the way it is here. So this whole thing got me thinking about this process of gifting and giving. So James came to mind. So here we are. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read from James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave birth to us by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of firstfruits of all of his creation. This is the word of the Lord for us today. You may be seated. So did you look for that perfect gift? Some of it, did you find it? No. Good for you. All right. Did you get the perfect gift? You know, great grandkids showing up is pretty close. Even if they do get a virus. And I've thought about several different ways with this, and I hesitated, I've hesitated about going the direction I'm going to go, because you might misunderstand what I'm going to try to say. But then it occurred to me, that's always the case. I can only share what I think the Lord's given me and try to be as clear as possible, and you have choices. You can listen to the end. You can get diverted and chase some rabbit hole or rabbit down the hole for just a moment or momentarily. That's why I like to have the lights on. I like to see who's chasing rabbits. Or you can begin planning lunch uh, and not listening at all. That's your choice. So I'm going to take this risk because I don't think every gift or seldom do we get gifts that are perfect. And most in this season have not reached that lofty status. So today I'm going to give you a testimony as much as a sermon because my life is a gift. It's been gifted to me by a number of of people and a number of institutions, but my life is far from perfect. No surprise there, huh? But the sum total of my life are the gifts. Some I've put to good use, some I've misused. Others I've just ignored. My parents were the generation of my ancestors that directly gave me life. So we can blame a lot on them. But it wasn't just physical life. It wasn't just dad's hair and other things, and I'm glad he gave it to me. It's hanging around, and um, I appreciate that. But the entire context of my life emerged from them, from the ancestors that, that came before me. Now, the, the, the realization is that my parents, nobody's parents, can give them a flawless beginning. Theirs was not a perfect gift, but it was their gift to me. My family context has been populated with people who worked hard, who were devoted to each other, 
who passed on hope to their children. Of course, some didn't. Because the heritage also contained deceit, betrayal, failure, racism, and violence. In this tapestry of family history, there was a thread of faith. And not a few people in my family have wrestled with the Lord. Some I've shared with you in past sermons. <clears throat> but until my parents' generation, my family made its living off the land. Most were farmers, but a few made their livelihood in timber. But always off the land. One of my sixth great-grandfathers sold himself into bondage at the age of 11 to escape York, England. He didn't get a perfect start to life either. It seems that, or at least this is the, the story I found in multiple places, that he was the illegitimate son of the local earl. And he just needed to get out of town, and he did. And he sold himself for four years. He landed in Maryland in the early 1690s. And by 1700, he had earned his freedom and began life as a tobacco farmer. Heard about a slave ship that had been sailing up the Chesapeake Bay and went down there and bought his wife, a woman who had been kidnapped from Ireland. you got stories like that. I hope you know them. Not this one, I hope. My grandma Jackson was pregnant at least 20 times in her life. Yeah. She delivered 13 children. Only six of them did she see reach adulthood. My family heritage is rich with these stories of character and people who coped with life, coped with less than perfect gifts. My parents were working class. Dad was a carpenter in St. Louis, and his work was seasonal until he began a 30-year stretch installing grocery stores, and I would name them, but that would be an unsolicited commercial. But you know them. You visit them every day. My parents' life was tumultuous. They divorced when I was 14. And then when I was 16, they remarried and stayed married for six whole months. Their lives formed the foundation of my life. Their traits, good and bad, became the texture of my personality. Their foundation provides aspects of which I have to aspire and others I need to identify and change. They were the people of their times. So let's not madmouth the people who went before us and made the mistakes that they made, because somebody's going to come behind us and badmouth us for the very same process. But there are not a few things that I need to discover and repent of as well, and have been doing. And it was in my local church that I was first introduced to a perspective that began to let me gain an understanding of what was going on in my life and in my family. This church introduced me to faith in the Lord, to a love of Scripture, to the church, to life shared with other Christians, and to experiences where I detected God's claim on my living. I was in this church from the age of two until I left for college at 18. Now, despite its imperfections, this church made possible a strong foundation that has served me well. My first set of context out of family was from them. And it was from them that I also began to, to learn to question my culture. 
from 1958 until 1969, our church baptized a thousand, more than, a little more than a thousand new converts in 11 years. We were an evangelistic congregation. But during that time, we experienced a number of conflicts and controversy, and the result was that in that same period, we had a net growth of 25. We were a group that never learned to manage conflict well. Two months before my graduation from high school, another controversy began. Um, the year before, we had hired our first uh, full-time staff member other than our pastor. And our pastor had been there for a number of years since, <coughs> I think, 56, 57. And George came as what we called then, in those days, our minister of music and youth director, our youth pastor. He didn't get on so well with our former youth sponsors because up until that time, two couples had been shepherding the youth program and, and doing quite well with it, but they just didn't quite seem eye to eye. And I, I heard that, and I, and, and that he was going to be fired, that they were moving to get him fired. So I went to church, talked to a pastor on a Wednesday afternoon, and I was president of the youth. And he I expressed my concern, and he said, well, you know, maybe the church should hear what the youth have to say. And I said, well, pastor, if you would permit us, I'll get organized youth, and, and we'll say something. He said, well, let's do it tonight. So I did, and we did. And we spoke our minds as only high school kids can do. Some of it was accurate, and we, but we were blunt. And I'm not going to burden you with the details, but it was a tumultuous meeting in which deacons came towards the platform as, as I was speaking, and others got between them and me, and, and so it was that kind of a meeting. And for the next five months, the adults in my church asked me why I was still there. But you see, the edge I had was is that because it was such a tumultuous congregation, when I was 18 years of age, I was the longest tenured member of the church. <laughs> so in my 18-year-old arrogance, I said, this is my church, what are you doing here? Well, George and I lasted until September. <laughs> I left for college, and a couple of months later, he left for another church. My second Sunday afternoon, I went to Greenville College up, up in Bond County, and my second Sunday afternoon, I was sitting in my dorm room at my desk looking down Elm Street at the Free Methodist Church, and it got me starting thinking about what good the church was anyway. I had not had a great experience in these last few months, and, and here I was sitting there this afternoon trying to wrestle with the fact that the church, in my opinion, was a waste of time and energy if you really wanted to serve the Lord. You see, I'd come to the point to question whether or not the church, in my experience, could actually represent Jesus to the world. I don't know what happened that afternoon, because I... I wrestled with this, and I got a little guilty about the passage of Scripture that says we shouldn't forsake assembling together. And then a thought just occurred to me that I wasn't clever enough to create anything any better. As clever as I thought I was, I wasn't clever enough to do anything any better. And maybe I should just withhold judgment and continue watching and praying. I see... In my family, only my mother had graduated from college. I'm a first-generation college graduate. She and I didn't even begin planning where I would go to college until after I'd graduated from high school. That's how much we knew about it. <clears throat> she came home one day with a sheet of paper. She worked at Brown Shoe Company over in Clayton and St. Louis, and, and on it were a list of names, and all of them had a line in them but five. <laughs> 
And she handed this to me, and she said, and I said, what's this? She said, this is where you're going to college. You've got there are five choices left here. I don't know what you need to do, but you need to figure it out and get in one of these things, because she knew if I didn't, I'd be in Vietnam by Christmas. That's how I ended up in Greenville. During the summer when Greenville emerged as my leading choice, I went to George. He was still there. I went to George and I said, George, I've never heard of Free Methodist. I grew up in a good Southern Baptist church. I never heard of Free Methodist. Are they Christians? <laughs> now, George had grown up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church. He wasn't always Baptist. And he looked at me and suppressed a smile. And he said, Dwight, I think you can be, feel safe with them. Well, I trusted George, so I went to Greenville with a fair amount of confidence. And at Greenville, I was exposed to believers who were both devoted to Jesus and kind. I learned to make thoughtful defenses of my faith. I was exposed to new tools for exploring and communicating the nuances of a very complex world in which God had called me into service. So at Greenville, I gained a broader context of what my church had tried to start but was unable to do. I focused on scripture studies, theology, and social sciences. And I learned just how out of touch my home church had been with the world, despite its success at evangelism. So that has become a lifelong pursuit trying to discover the complexities of the world and how best to communicate Christ within them. But something else happened along the way. A blind date. Can you believe that the most hum humanly significant event in my life was a blind date? Yeah, that was Brenda. Now, see, and to this point, I have to, I don't know if you're just this kind, if you've thought it and suppressed it, but every other place we've lived, people have been quite upfront with me and asked me, how in the world did you marry above your weight class? And I just, my response has always been, well, it was just blind luck. Or some of you got See, most people don't get that joke. Blind date, blind luck. Aha. Uh -huh. It's not a very good joke if you've got to explain it, is it? But I've been telling that joke for 52 years. It, it doesn't get old to me. Okay. But we crammed a lot in those four years in Greenville. We married, began our family, spent a, a summer as church planters in Columbus, Ohio, pastored for almost three years. All this started with a blind date. And Brenda changed my, the storyline of my life into the storyline of our life. The individual aspects of our lives have taken, long to, have, have taken many things to work on to, to form the story of we, but when we focus on the we, we've done well. When we haven't, we've run into a few rough patches. And in these rough patches, we fail to focus on each other. And we've acquired more than a few scars. But we know in rough patches you learn that God provides grace and that forgiveness is necessary. 
The forgiveness must be extended, and it must be received. And when that happened, the ground became more normal, normal around us. Becoming a father and a grandfather has done a lot. The Lord has used it to teach me. that there is just a shade of difference between loving and caring. And that in accepting responsibility for someone or some others, was just the other side of caring and loving. Well, you guys in here are all old enough to know better. So I, I, was, I was hoping there'd be one or two young people in here and I could say, so if somebody comes to you and all they are is selfish and unthoughtful, don't believe it when they say they love you. They love something else or someone else. But you know I'd already been involved in this process, but as I began to reflect back and, and, and look at things, it's very much the same with us in the church. Within God's community, accepting responsibility for one another leads to love. Don't say that you have Christian love for someone without, love, without caring for them. Which is then leads us on to Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And my response to that is, is where, see I'm in James, I gotta, I gotta say this, where is the proof of your spoken word? It's an act of caring. It's an act of responsibility. But then, I was in a dizzy, so a tizzy. So you know, I got back around to the fact that even those acts of caring and acts of responsibility aren't perfect. Because as much as I have wished differently, my children are going to have to deal with flawed gifts just as much as I did, and so are their 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 kids are having to do the same thing, and it looks like our great grandchildren aren't going to fare any better. Flawed gifts is what we get. It's your family. It's your church. It's our life. Should we just give up? What? Not at all. Because we're not going to get anything different. Every, we're going to get flawed gifts. I thought I would be better going when I was a missionary. Going to Burundi. I mean, missionary. God called us to be missions. I went to Burundi. And I worked on my languages. I would, I mean, because I'd been preaching for 10 years, and, or more than that, I'd been pastoring for 10 years and preaching for 15. And I was, I was proud of the fact that God had called me into, into the pastoral ministry and, and preaching. But then, after language school, the very next day, this guy comes up to me and says, Jacksoni? In, in Kirinda, you can't end a word in a consonant sound. Jacksoni, we need to start a grocery store. You've heard me tell the story, so I'm not going to tell it all again. It took me four months to agree, and when I did, the preaching points, the mission points around our church began to grow. More people came in, and after about nine months, I found out that what impressed them the most about our faith wasn't my sermons. It was that stinking grocery store. Because the other merchants were crooks. And they had to become honest because we created an honest grocery store. 
I should have seen the parallelism and how my life changed when my dad as a carpenter began working in grocery stores, but I missed it. For a long time, I missed it. But it changed my life. God taught me, and another gift. That the only way gifts become perfect is to be found in our text. Do you remember our text? Every generous act of giving and every perfect gift is from above. All right, but why do we experience so many flawed ones? Well, maybe it is because we're human and we live in a human world and it's flawed, but God hasn't left us to that fate. Because there's another passage of Scripture you are familiar with, you should be aware of, and I'm going to call to your mind right now. Paul, in the 8th chapter of Romans, says, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a larger family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he, all, he called, he also justified. <clears throat> and those whom he justified, he also glorified. God has taken all the flawed gifts that I've been given and work them to my good. My prayer is, is that the people I've given flawed gifts will allow him to do the same thing. Because not having been a perfect son, a perfect student, a perfect husband, a perfect father, nor a perfect grandfather, and now I'm not all that great. Well, they say I'm a great grandfather, but I'm still not perfect at it. There's only one hope for all the things that I have tried to share is that God will take them in their imperfection if those I've given them to will allow him and work them for their good. So here we are a week after Christmas. Some of you have already returned things that you didn't want. But every gift we truly receive is, that is perfect and is a generous act of giving comes from God. Can we give each other that gift? Can we quit expecting perfection from each other? Can we accept this flawed gifts that we're able to offer to each other and allow God to build us into a loving, more loving and more welcoming community of believers. We ain't perfect. We never will be. But we can be a channel for perfect generosity and perfect gifts that are authored, authored by God. Let us be that. Let us aspire to be that. And let us learn when to repent, when to forgive, when to ask forgiveness, whether not only just here, but with your family and with the people you work with. That's who we are. We, if you pay attention to the scripture, have been brought to this place to be the next expression of God's gift giving. Are you ready for that responsibility? I hope you've already, already realized that. 
I'm just here to remind you on the first day of this year that it's going to continue. We are the expression of God's gifting into the lives of people. And how many times have you stopped because you didn't know the right thing to say? Or you didn't have something was not quite right with the situation and, and you stopped. And in doing so, you interfered with what God was intending to do. This ain't been a perfect sermon. That's why I called it a testimony. But something in here, God can use to bless your life today. Accept God's gifts. We are God's gifts to each other. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are in this place on this day because we love you. Help us to love you better. We love each other. Help us to love each other better. We love our neighbors. Help us to love our neighbors better. Father, may we quit worrying about the quality of our gifts and just give them. Because you can use them once they're given. And you can make them work good in the lives of others. That's the only hope we have, Father. That is where, where we place our trust and we place our hope. So bless us in this, this new year to become better at giving and receiving the flawed gifts that are available in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand with us for this last song?
Amen. I want to thank Nikki. She picked all the songs. She set this all up. So new face here. Well, old face, but different face than normal. But we have so many people that help and contribute. And Nikki did so much to prepare for this. So I just want to thank her for that. You want to hear the announcements? <laughs> okay, so we're going to go over time because I forgot the button. The office is going to be closed Monday. Taking down Christmas decorations after church next week, January the 8th. Mosaic baby bottle campaign starts today. Be sure and pick up your bottles in the foyer. Men's breakfast on Saturday, January 21st, 8 a.m. Does that mean I don't get to eat breakfast till January? I can't. Oh, you mean the one at church? Yeah. 8 o'clock here at church. Lunch bunch Wednesday, January 25th at Chevy's. And team day, January 28th at Salem Church. Those are the announcements, unless you have another one. There you go. I knew there might be another one. Choir rehearsal on Thursday. Time? Six o'clock. One thing I forgot to say in this sermon. Be patient with me. Brenda's, Brenda has, and, and, and one of these days, more of these things will get worked out, and the flawed gifts will be polished over. I promise to be patient with you. Okay. May the Lord dismiss us this day into a world that's awaiting gifts. Go into places recognizing your God's gift to the people that are waiting for you there. You won't be perfect, but you're the best that God's got. Go in peace.